Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with Canadian musician and writer Eamon McGrath. This career musician and writer has a profound creative heart that shows in all of his pursuits. This host just finished his audiobook from 2020 called Here Goes Nothing, chronicling tales of being on the road as a bandmate, and it's stellar. His approach, vision, music, and words are deep and necessary to divulge as a fan of good art. It was an honor and pleasure to catch up with him from his home base in Victoria. We cover his books, Time in Kansas City, Canadian Virtues, Living in Modern Times, and so much more. Enjoy. Hey, what's going on? Hey, man. It's so good to meet you. This is an honor. I I absolutely dig your work. I appreciate you taking a minute out today, man. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on. What's, yeah. what's going on? How's things where you are? Oh, I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. It's all good. We're we're uh, we're making it through. All right, so where are you at in Canada? I live in Windsor, Ontario, which is just across the river from Detroit. Dude, I thought someone was going to fucking crush me back in the 90s. I went to Seattle during the whole grunge thing, and I yeah. rented one of those like little mopeds, okay. and I had some gearhead behind me in a massive truck, and I'm like, this is it. I'm going to be an ink spot, and that's just the way it is. And somehow I got out of it, but I just, they sniffed me out. They knew that I was a tourist. They were on my tail and somehow I got out of it and it was good. But I remember reading Alan Lightman's Einstein's dream on a bench up there. And it was the coolest experience to this day that I've had reading a book. It was so serene. I was in this beautiful place. It was lovely. Yeah. I've written, uh, I've written a few more than a few songs across the river from Detroit. It's quite a, uh, an inspirational site to see, to look north, to look north on the U.S. Is, is something that a lot of Canadians don't, don't get to do. So it's, it's pretty, pretty privileged place. Yeah. To be. Well, I got to tell you, before we get into your work, I love the way the Canadians roll. You guys always respond to legislation. When we had that massive shooting in Texas, you yeah. all responded quickly. You give grants to artists. You have socialized medicine. I fucking love you guys. It's well, just good. Yeah. I think, um, we're, 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 we're lucky for those, for those things. But I mean, at the moment, we, we are kind of living in this sort of, uh, ominous environment where they're, they're pretty under threat, which is, which is, uh, kind of just a, you know, a telltale sign of the times, but also, you know, those, those things are very fleeting. And, and I think a lot of Canadians tend to take them for granted, but, but things are definitely changing here and hopefully, hopefully not for the worst. But we have, we have someone who's, running for election right now who's running on a platform to kind of take a lot of those things away so wow. we uh we like to think that they're kind of set in stone here but they're but they're really not you know nothing ever is and it's and- funny because it's cool you mentioned that in in a way uh canadians kind of like in a lot of ways like socialized medicine is kind of our equivalent of the, the second amendment or something it's always been this kind of like um non-partisan well i mean I shouldn't say that about the second but i mean like in a lot of ways you know you, okay in the way that you know you always have democrats that sort of preface uh gun control arguments with like we're not here to take your guns away yeah it's like whenever a conservative talks about changing canadian healthcare policy they always kind of have that preface too in the sense of like we're not here to take your health care yeah. away but it, it's easy for that to happen because yeah. um I mean, at least it seems that way now. We'll see what happens in the next couple of years. But it's definitely like there's a there's a huge paradigm shift in Canadian society right now. And I don't really know how it's going to end. Yeah, we've gone through that sea change here. (laughs) We've we've watched it happen. And and, and that's kind of what I'm getting at is that it's pretty easy for those for those things that 
that you uh you know always associate with with being from from a place you're you're from and then and then one day you wake up and that place is not the place it used to be and it's it it happens pretty quickly and people don't think that it will that it will you know yeah that's well said um, for sure we we've always Canadians have always kind of like uh at least you know my generation always sort of looked at the states as this kind of you know it's pretty it's it's got it's like any country it's got its flaws but yeah. but it's it's it also has this really kind of inspirational you know entrepreneurial spirit and on a on a grassroots street level i mean more often than not americans have found a really incredible way to coexist with each other peacefully and i think that that's overshadowed by a lot of the the uh kind of more sensationalized stories that emanate from a country that you forget is as big as it is. Like there's just so many of you that I see it as kind of this inevitable thing, unfortunately, that, that, you know, bad things are going to happen when you just get 300 million people in one place and you're all participating in this kind of historic experiment. Yep. Um, you know, it's not always going to go the way you want it to. True. But for the most part, I mean, um, you know, especially like living here and going to Detroit all the time, it's, it's always blown my mind how, how you know despite its reputation everybody genuinely works together and gets along and acts on a communitarian level from the ground up and i sometimes don't really think that you could see see the same thing happening in canada in the same way like i i think that toronto's a city for example that's way more cutthroat and um bloodthirsty than people give it credit credit for you know which is one of the reasons why i why i left but De- detroit i i kind of would argue that it's actually a more polite and peaceful peaceful place that's such an interesting perspective for us americans to hear from from you saying that because i think we feel like down here with all these bozos that are running around with microphones in their face and and low iqs that we feel like that they're all waiting and inching towards some level of civil war and and that's and that's the that's what i mean it's like you know we've we've been lucky enough i think to live through not just in america but in europe too the probably the most peaceful time in human history yeah and that's sort of what i'm getting at is that you know just like here you know how i think that it's unfortunately kind of taken a turn for the for the worse we've we've seen that happen in the states as outsiders and yeah. we've seen how quickly it can all change i mean in my lifetime i remember uh you know just trying to compare the states you know, pre and post 9-11 or pre and post covid or pre and post trump it's like these things seem like they take a really really long time to kind of unfold but they happen in the like the blink of an eye and True. it's it's pretty pretty wild because no one's no one's safe from that change yeah. change happens quick you know yeah absolutely it does well let's get into the good the, the good stories here the good work and peel back the onion layers of your life here goes nothing i've been really hitting a renaissance with audiobooks and i i swallowed this up fast i just take it Wait. in auditorily i love the way you did this i love the music it sounded like a poem the whole thing was so well written. It was like one poem after the other. I had to like, there was times where I turned the radio off because I'm like, I got to focus. Because the way you described the road, it, it just all came together. Was it a cathartic jaunt for you to put that book out? Yeah, I mean, it it, it was it was kind of written simultaneously with the first one, Berlin Borsalo Express, that, so that the writing of those two books sort of uh, went, you know, like fell a time, on a timeline of about two and a half years where the initial kind of sketches of them came up pretty quickly um and i wrote them on tour so they have I, I like to think that they have this kind of rhythmic quality that was inspired by the the railroad and the van wheels turning kind of underneath me 
and actually there's a lot of in here goes nothing there's a lot of there's a couple scenes that take place in kc which is which is pretty funny um <laughs> i remember i went to arthur bryant's one time before yeah the show and it was it was pretty great uh but yeah um I, so I, I tried to kind of channel that into the the audio book and it was it was it was a ton of work um but the publisher seemed really interested in trying you know a, a musical audio book which had never really that they'd never done before i mean i'm sure yeah. people have but but uh it was a bit of a leap of faith for them and it was a it was a long time coming on my end i i i mean scoring your own book is is not easy but i'm glad i glad it, it happened the way it did but yeah. um yeah, I mean, what the way you described it is is kind of what I was going for. I wanted to have these little vignettes, almost of of glimpses into these moments that kind of, when you put them all together, uh, you know, form the structural kind of backbone of an entire narrative. Which in this case, in the cases of those books, was was a tour and how a tour unfolds and how it plays out in someone's life and how there's all these things you can learn from. Um, you know, being away from home really for only three and a half or four weeks or something, but they have this, this really profound trajectory on the rest of how your life unfolds. And, you know, when you're living your life kind of compartmentalized or incrementally where you're, you're visiting a city or you're playing a show kind of one at a time, um, your life sort of does become this series of vignettes that are sort of told in one story at a, at a time that amass this bigger narrative that kind of, uh, you know, envelops you later yeah um so yeah that was totally the idea and and um yeah i'm just really glad they were up for the idea of of putting music to it despite how long it it took me to do yeah well the funny thing about this is, is that i was so moved by the book i really really wanted to interview you and i literally right after i sent the email that's that vignette about kansas city came up and i didn't i didn't realize that there was this lore about barbecue joints burning down because gates burned yeah. down. Yeah. It, it's a thing. It's a total so thing. Were, yeah. And, it's and, a thing. You, and you did that throughout the book. Like, you know, don't make decisions when you're, you're, you're yeah. high or you're on the road. It's bad. And I get that. You know, you got to just or, hold off. And as, as a metaphor, you know, like there's like, I mean, this sounds maybe kind of snobby or something, but I don't, I don't really work with a lot of musicians that haven't put in a lot of road hours, you know, and maybe for better or for worse, the people that I bring on tour, you know, I really, what matters to me more than their, you know, musical ability or whatever, is that they know that, you know, like a a 9am lobby call is actually an 845 lobby call or whatever. So, you know, like that's the stuff you can't really teach somebody. You can teach somebody how to play, how to play bass, but there's like a work ethic and a, an ability to be resilient that's kind of inherent to someone yeah. um so in that regard you know as a metaphor in the way that you know there are people and i've met them in kc who you know refuse to go to a barbecue that hasn't burnt down at least once there's <laughs> there's, there's musicians like me that you know will only you know seek out or hire people who have who have been in the in the in the depths of of that lifestyle and, and knowing what what is involved in it, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of the idea of that was this metaphor that I only really want to surround myself on the road to people that have been to the very, the very bottom or burnt down or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great metaphor. So, you know, you obviously wrote this book when you were younger and you've been through a lot of things throughout your life. Do you still like the road? How has that 
idea evolve for you? Yeah, it come. It, it's weird, man. I have a pretty tempestuous relationship with it, especially lately. Like I've, I took a ton of time off. My, I put out a record in March and toured pretty much straight through to the beginning of September. And, uh, I moved here and, and my life is going super well. And more than ever now, I just really enjoy being at home. And that's been a kind of a huge paradigm shift in my end. I mean, I, I'm doing shows here, uh, on a regular, like, like almost, almost weekly with my partner, Sheila and her and I are promoters here. So we've been kind of like, I've kind of taken, uh, what I've learned about, you know, putting a show on from, uh, you know, the artist perspective and sort of applied everything to the other side of the stage, which is pretty fun. Um, and yeah, at this point in my life, like I'm just kind of a bit burnt out. I've been, I've been touring nonstop, uh, since spring of 2021. And, um, now I'm just kind of trying to settle in and, you know, find my footing in in a new place. Um, so that's why it's kind of funny that you asked me to do this because normally, you know, if you're in between releases or something like no one gives a shit about you. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of interesting giving an interview with someone about how sick of touring you are. Yeah. Cause you, usually you're trying to tell someone that you're all excited to play 28 shows and that everyone right. should come and see them. But right, right now I'm in like a totally different opposite headspace. Yeah. Um, uh, a, a follow up to here goes nothing will have to come out at some point. I'm kind of been. Uh, unsuccessfully trying to finish it for for the better part of two two years. So at some point that book will come out, and then I think that that's probably going to be my next release. And if if and when that happens, uh, that'll be my next my next big outing. Yeah. So let let me ask you this. You know, your books are really probably epiphanies to young musicians that are out there. When they read that, there's a lot of wisdom that's coming from that. What's the best advice that you've ever gotten? What's advice that you've gotten that resonates with you? Uh, I think the best, the best thing you can do from the youngest age is to have no expectations and never assume that anything's happening until you're in the midst of the experience. Because I think more than anything, uh, what burns people out more than, more than booze or, sleeplessness or whatever is just is just disappointment i mean that's the thing that um can really kind of make you want to stop i think i think yeah and you can't be disappointed if you don't go into it um expecting something that's you know not what what you know expecting something other than what's actually just going to happen you know yeah i mean uh you know everybody wants to get signed to a label and everybody wants to get a booking agent and everyone thinks that they're the, the one anomaly that's going to make it to the, to the top. But if you just go in to every show with nothing more than the goal of just playing the show that's in front of you, you, I don't think you'll be unhappy, you know, and you could probably, and it's, it's a lot like rock climbing or something where they teach people to just sort of look at the, the stone in front of them and, you know, never look at the summit of the peak. It's kind of like that. You just have to take it one step at a time and be really, really, really level headed about exactly the thing that you're doing at that moment. And like, I'm no expert at that. It's like way easier said than done. But yeah, I think that if people condition themselves at a younger age and their a younger point in their career to start doing that, I think that you'll have a lot of success or whatever that means. And I think that the other thing is to, um, you know, not worry about, about chasing 
fame. I think that a lot of the people I know that have had the most successful careers are the people that are in a lot of ways the least successful because, um, you know, there's, if you think about, you know, the idea, all the music industry bullshit and the mechanisms of like, of, you know, that whole enterprise mentality of like upgrading rooms and selling out arenas and blah, 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 and all this stuff and TikTok now and, and trying to like, you know, pander and acquiesce to the bullshit of live nation and everything like that. I mean, there really is only two directions to go. There's up and there's down, you know, and, uh, I like to think that, you know, myself and a lot of contemporaries that I've, that I've got have a way more interesting, varied and unique path. And, and, you know, I mean, I've been able to carve a living out, you know, carve out a living doing this for a long, long time. And I mean, I know, I know other people who, you know, we're like this super hype band and then something happens and then it's like a pretty steep fall to the, to the bottom, so to speak. Um, so that's another thing. I think like worry about just, you know, making enough revenue to pay your band and don't go broke doing it. And if you can do that for a long enough time, then you're, then you've made it. Yeah. So let me go back to the beginnings. You obviously have the heart of an artist, multifaceted, what was the first concert that you saw that blew you away that made you think, I want to be on that stage? Um, I mean, it'd be bands that no one outside of the town I grew up in would ever know. You know, right. I mean, um, there was a band actually called the Franklins from Edmonton that changed my life. It was probably like the first time I'd ever seen a band that, you know, consisted of people that I could actually go and talk to after the show was over that that genuinely, genuinely, genuinely blew my mind, like amazed me. Yeah. And that, and that was a pretty eye opening thing because, um, you know, before that, every band I'd seen was like some huge band, you know, like my dad took me to Green Day or some shit. And, yeah. and that was like this unattainable thing. And then seeing local bands in Edmonton, uh, I mean, that was really what had the probably the most profound effect on my life was so, uh, that was probably what had, you know, like just countless, countless bands, like a Rolodex of bands of like, just like just local punk bands. And then, um, that's the stuff that really changes your life. Yeah. I think because, you know, they're, they're the people that are actually like doing the work to make the show happen. Like they're, they're taking the cab to the gig and they're hauling the amp up the stairs and they're doing all the bullshit that, um, you know, big ticket bands don't have, they, they're paying other people to do. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that's what I, that's what I'd say. I mean, any, any, and I think that goes for any kind of localized or regional music scene that's healthy is that, you know, like at the, at, ultimately every band on earth is a local band and people forget that too. It's like, you know, you, no matter how, how successful a band is they they still on some level like occupy a space in their community and they interact with people that live there. So you know, it's kind of this, like, it's a bit of a dirty word. Like when you go to a record store and you go to the local section, it's like kind of, it's like they've been banished to the, to the dungeon or something. But, but I mean, every band is in a section like that somewhere. Yeah. So if you could run into that kid that was in the book, here goes nothing. And you have a dream tonight. And that version of you comes to you. You could give that version of you a piece of advice based on where you're at now, the wisdom you gained. What advice would you give that version of you? Um, I, well, I I have to really emphasize the fact that, um, despite what you might 
think about your career or money or anything like nothing lasts forever. That's like the biggest thing. I mean, you know, especially when I was younger, I was in some record deals that were pretty lucrative and I had really, you know, really great relationships with labels that were going to the ends of the earth to make stuff happen for me. And, you know, time and time again, that, that well has just kind of run dry. And I think in my early twenties when I was, when I was kind of starting out, you know, you just kind of, if it's the only system, you know, you kind of just assume that that's just the system and it's always going to be that way, but it's like really not. And I've, I've over the course of the last 15 years of touring, um, you know, I've seen so many changes in the music industry and in how artists are paid and in the way that audiences interact with them and in, you know, the expectations of, of what bands are you know supposed to do in terms of touring and like, the, it's just, it's so radically different now. And yeah in a way that I could have never foreseen when I was, you know, 19 or 20 because of just technology or, or gas prices or any, anything like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I would, I would just, I would, I would tell myself to just always put money away, never get too comfortable and to be really, really, really grateful for whatever good things come your way because, you know, good or bad, it's just nothing lasts. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this. Everyone out there has a perception of you. Your family, your friends, your fans, readers, listeners, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Um, I like to think that I've just cultivated a career based on a, a work ethic and a philosophy that, uh, I, I developed when I was really, really young that hasn't really changed all that much. I think that the things that pissed me off about the music industry when I was 16, piss me off even more so now yeah um I'm, I'm i'm pretty stubborn in that regard uh and you know for better or for worse i've kind of worked myself to the to the bone um trying to find myself opportunities that no one else will give me uh and you know for a long time i i I didn't care about any ceiling that that was maybe going to, going to, I was going to hit doing that. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, I like to think that, 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 you know, I'm just kind of a, a music first artist, first songwriter. And, you know, the, the, the well being and the rights of my, of my band and, and working musicians are always kind of my top priority. And, you know, I like to think that I, I kind of will either do it that way or not do it at all. Again, maybe for worse, I don't know, for better or for worse, but I just kind of refuse to play this this game now that's emerged where, um, you know, the music industry has just become kind of a meat grinder for people and the effects that it has on people's mental health is like, drastically negative now in terms of social media and, and exhaustion and the things that are asked of you and what's required of you are so different. Um, you know, but I mean, I've been, I like to think I've been pretty perseverant through all of that. And uh, that's probably words I would use. Yeah. So anything that's safe to say that's coming out, anything that's on the the burner, anything that's going on in your life right now that you want to put out there, this well, I just did. Time. I just did a record with uh, Berlin, now Frankfurt 
based Canadian songwriter actually named named Old Seed. Uh, so uh, that's going to come out soon. We're just waiting for a couple couple things to finish to finish that up. Um, hopefully at some point next year, maybe maybe twenty twenty five, maybe sooner. I'm not sure. But that was pretty exciting. We recorded that here in this room uh, at the beginning of September. Yeah, and that was really that was that was a great session because uh actually craig is his name he's he's a he's a character in my first book he was kind of this like guiding light when i first started touring europe he gave me my first sort of slew of contacts and sort of introduced me to um you know the the world of international touring and and uh he's one of those people that kind of turned sitting on a train with a backpack and a guitar into an art form like he take you know he took I really respected the fact that he took the folk music medium and, and, you know, kind of conceptualized it. So I, I, I was really drawn to that. So I'm, I'm lucky to be still working with him. Um, and then, yeah, other than that, I mean, we're just doing a lot of shows locally. I, I think there's probably some touring and internet, a little bit of international touring coming up next year, probably Japan in April and a, a dizzying lust and some capacity is going to come out in Asia. And, uh, and then probably a follow-up European run in the fall. But other than that, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm trying to just take things a bit slower these days sure. because, you know, the the tank runs out. Yeah. You know, that's another thing, actually, I tell uh, my younger self is like, you know, do it, do it while you can because everybody thinks that they can do it forever and they really, yeah. really can't. Yeah, for sure. Eamon, I got to tell you, man, it's a profound honor to talk to you. I really genuinely believe your heart of an artist and what you're putting out there. It moved me profoundly. And I think well, thank you. Work. Thank you very wonderful, much. It's wonderful work. Really nice to hear that. Thank you so yeah. much, man. Thank you. And I hope I see you in Kansas City, man. Maybe we can bring yeah, barbecue together. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. I, uh, I think KC barbecue is kind of in a league of its own. Yeah. I, I sort of think that it's better than all the other stuff, just for the burnt ends alone. It's great. Yeah. Well, and the way you described that that dude when he was ripping the bread and putting it in and the grease on the fingers, you 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 encapsulated that vibe so well. You guys know it very well, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, sir. Hey, awesome, man, man. Eamon, it's been an honor. Thank you, sir. Yeah, great meeting you. See you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Yeah. I guess.